Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. Today, we examine a content marketing framework you need to fuel your ideas so you never have to worry about your next content again. It's episode 22, how to create a content marketing framework with Melanie Diesel, and it starts right now. Visit araxam.com. That's A R A X A M.com. So, Ryan, we're back at it again for another happy hour. What are you drinking this week? You know, I, I'm keeping the theme. Uh, we're in the, getting in the fall here and the spirit of things. So, sticking with an Oktoberfest this time, uh, for me, kind of the old faithful Oktoberfest is Sam Adams. What are you drinking, Chris? I do enjoy a good Sam Adams Oktoberfest, but uh, I had a go say last week and I figured I would keep with it. I'm local again as well. Seventh Sun Brewery here in Tampa. Uh, I fell in love with the name of this one. It's called It Puts the Cucumber on Its Skin or It Gets the Go Say Again. It made me laugh and I was like, what the hell? I got to try it. <laughs> Actually makes for a pretty good beer too. So that's my drink this week. So we had another great conversation this week with Melanie Diesel and because there was so many great tips in there. I think, Ryan, let's just go ahead and bring her in. Melanie Diesel is a keynote speaker, award-winning branded content creator, and lifelong storyteller on a mission to share the power of compelling, incredible content with others. Melanie is the founder and chief content officer of StoryFuel, which teaches marketers, creators, and organizations how to tell better brand stories and the author of the great book, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Melanie, welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Thanks for hanging out with me. I'm psyched to be here. We can't start a happy hour with, at the very least, talking about when you're at happy hour, what is your go-to beverage? So I am actually, I don't drink, but I, I am a new mom, and so I, I generally opt for coffee, so that's what I've got with me here today, uh, you know, keeping, keeping my eyes open. <laughs> Now, understand that your caffeine, though, is, is unleaded. Is that correct? It is, yeah. So I do, I do decaf or half-calf usually because I, I don't need my heart to beat out of my chest. That's, we don't need to manufacture anxiety. This year has given us enough uh, oh my naturally, God. right? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> so talks a little bit before, but back several episodes ago at the end, Chris and I always have this Keep It Light segment, and we mentioned books that we're reading. And, yeah. and so I kind of came across this book called The Content Fuel Framework. And at the end of it, I said, you know, I didn't even finish reading it. I was already in maybe 30 pages. And I knew just by, you know, and I kind of thumbed through it. And I was like, this book can serve everybody. I've been doing the digital marketing for about almost 15 years now. And 
I've always struggled with the writing part of content and creating content. And so for me, while you know it's important, I realized this is something I think that I found to be very valuable. And I think everybody else will too. So I mentioned it. Well, then a couple of weeks later, we have uh, Neil Schaefer and he's talking about being at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. And the, the person he sees over that's hustling and, and promoting herself, handing out her book. And he mentions Melanie Diesel. And, and so Chris and I talked, I said, you know what, we got to get Melanie on the show. This is just meant to be on that. So, so it's, a, it's great to have you on here. And what looking at that, that's a little bit about how, what I found value out of your book. Yeah. What was the inspiration for you to write this? So, I mean, I think it was a couple of things. First of all, I recognized that I was really blessed to be working in the business that I was, where I get to travel the world and speak at conferences and do these corporate workshops and consult with all these awesome companies on their content strategy and their content processes. But I, I realized that so many people who could benefit from the kind of things I was talking about would never be in those rooms. They would never be or in those Zoom rooms now, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, just because it, it wasn't accessible, right? And so I wanted to create something that had a much lower barrier to entry, sort of pour all my knowledge into some sort of item, uh, whether it was a course or a book that would let people access that knowledge at a lower price point if they were independent, you know, or, you know, a student, uh, a nonprofit, a small business. I just wanted to make like sort of democratize that knowledge a little bit and not just reserve it for, you know, uh, fancy events that, you know, we might not be able to always get ourselves to. So uh, a book just seemed like the right fit for me. I'm a, a writer first, uh, you know, I studied journalism. And so uh, the prospect of writing a book was not as scary uh, as some of the other options like making a course or, you know, all these other things. And so, uh, I, and I think, as I said, in one of the, one of the footnotes of the book, like I had always wanted to write a book having been a writer, I think it's like, you know, when you like are a casual runner and you're like, I'll run a marathon someday. Like it was that same sort of vibe. Like I'm a writer, I'll write a book someday. So it's a nice bucket list item for me too. You mentioned Zoom meetings, which seems to be the yeah. norm today, given that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. How has, you know, the changes in the world impacted content and the work that you're doing? So I thought you were going to ask how it's impacted my business. I was <laughs> like, please, we, we need to, a, a few more drinks before we get there. Right. But um, how it's affected content has is, is been really interesting. So one thing that was super fun for me is when all this was starting, uh, my wheels started turning and saying, okay, what's going to change about the content? Like I was trying to predict and analyze how our content patterns would change, how our, like the type of content we create. And so for myself, I kind of made a few predictions. I thought that we might see a drop in podcasts consumption because a lot of people it's very commute tied and it's also very tied to being in the car or you know doing sort of mindless work and we don't have as much of that anymore i don't necessarily have the data to back up whether that came to fruition but that was my hunch um, and the other one i thought is we were going to see a lot of instructional content so tutorials recipes diy like walkthroughs step-by-step -step type content because you know we were going to suddenly have to start doing things that we normally would hire someone else to do you know, give your partner a haircut or like fix the dishwasher, you know, you can't, you can't get somebody to come do that for you at that point. Um, you know, uh, recipes without ingredients because the stores were all out of stock for certain things, how to make your own mask, how to sanitize a phone, you know, I don't know. There were going to be a lot of how-to questions that we all had. And so it was a little bit, I mean, this is nerdy, but it was a little exciting for me during like the second week of March. I actually was looking at the Google search trends data 
and words like instruction, how to, and DIY started a steady increase. And so we've seen that, uh, you know, stay pretty steady for the last, the last few months that we're still uh, learning how to live in this air quotes, new normal, uh, you know, and figure out how to compensate for the fact that we just don't have access to the people, the places, the products, you know, other resources that we normally do. Well, 2020 has definitely become what a curse word. I think now you just interject 2020 yeah. for every other yeah, F-bomb or yeah. whatever. Now, uh, <laughs> you, you talked about a little bit, and of course, we had to ask how, how did this COVID-19, you know, and the pandemic, two, two parts, you know, how did it affect your business? But also you notice trends, which Chris and I are both a little bit data geeks on that. We like to look at that and, yeah. and, and make, you know, we're, we're big believers in you make marketing and business decisions based on the data, not your gut, yeah. not in a hunch, you know? And so you yeah. obviously looked at the trends. You starting to see that. What kind of pivot did you have to make in order to, you know, create this content and your business had to change? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is I was sharing that piece of information about instructional content with as many people as I could, because I knew that that was going to be something that especially so many businesses and, and small businesses, especially were struggling during this time. So wanted to give them as much advice as I could to, to weather the storm. Um, you know, in the book, I talk about process focused content. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here, that this kind of stuff where you're helping your audience do something. Um, so I created some, I created a couple of blog posts, you know, I, I did a couple guest posts here and there, I went on a few podcasts, just talking about how to make this kind of stuff, why it's helpful, giving more examples, uh, you know, I'm just trying to hopefully share it with as many people as possible. I think one of the things I try always to be uh, uh, as transparent as I can about is that uh, please do as I say and not as I do, um, because I have a one-year-old and we have no daycare. And so am I making all of the instructional content I wish I could be making right now? No, because, you know, I had to pick up uh, ball pit balls off the floor for like the 13th time, you know, so <laughs> life is a little bit different and I'm sure it is for many others too. And so, you know, I, I can tell you what the data tells me. I can tell you what I'm seeing with my clients, but you know, I, I can't promise you that I'm, I'm taking action on all of it myself. <laughs> you bring up an excellent point, And I feel like one of the things Ryan and I see very often, particularly when we're dealing with businesses is they get stuck on that component of, you know, well, what content do I create? Or how do I create it? Or how do I add that value? For somebody who spent so much of their career on the content side, you know, particularly in your early days, you were getting started. Did you go through periods where you were struggling to come up with ideas? And, and what did you do to get through that? What advice would you give businesses today that are really kind of struggling with the same thing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things, I don't know why this is, but this happens to be my superpower. Like coming up with content ideas is, it's not something I've really struggled with. I mean, with rare exception, as all of us have, when you're sick or you've got something, you know, tragic happening in your life, you know, sure, it's, it's hard to focus. Um, but for the most part, I know that when I sit down to come up with content ideas, it's going to work. Um, you know, I say the same thing as a speaker. I'm blessed that usually when I open my mouth to start a sentence, I know it's going to come to an end and make sense. Like these are two things that I take for granted. Right. But I think that what I tried to do with the book, honestly, was like teach people exactly how I'm doing that. And a big part of it comes from studying as a journalist. We are taught that there is always a new way to tell a story. There's always another perspective that hasn't been considered. You know, there's always a new approach or a new way to bring that story to life. And so I just reject the belief that you don't have stories to tell or there aren't any stories to tell or you are not capable of finding those stories. And I think a big reason that we feel that is because we're not taught how to find them. 
And so, you know, a big, big part of the book was trying to say, look, this is, it's not something reserved for like the elite few creative people in your life. You know, it's not something that you, you can't figure out. It's just, no one's ever showed you a process for how to do it. And so of course, if you just sit down in front of a blank document or a whiteboard and you're like, ideas, I need ideas, like come to me ideas, like that's not gonna work for you. So if you have some sort of process, then hopefully you run into a lot less of that sort of stuck feeling and a lot less writer's block, videographer's block, whatever we're calling it, right? So is processes, is that something that kind of comes natural to you? Because I've worked with a lot of people and depending on what side of the brain, you know, works. Uh, like for me personally, starting a process from scratch is just nails on a chalkboard. Like just, just take me now. You know, for you, you created sort of this process. Is it something that just has started that you've been kind of tweaking your career? Or did you have one of those days where it was just like, I got to make this easier? I can tell you exactly when it happened. So I was... I was supposed to speak at a conference in, uh, where was it? I think it was in, um, in Berlin. I was set, okay. on my way to speak at a conference in Berlin. Uh, I was giving a keynote there and a dear friend of mine who was also giving a, a talk there as well, uh, unfortunately got into a car accident. She's fine, but she wasn't gonna be able to get her flight and make it to speak at this event. So the organizers asked me, can you give two keynotes? Can you give two talks in a row? Give your keynote and then have a different one. Uh, another topic. And I was like, what the heck am I going to talk about for a, a second talk, you know, in the same conference It's happening in like 48 hours. And so I said, well, I guess I could talk about how to come up with ideas. That's something I do very naturally. But so the, it was intentional, but it was, uh, it was something that was already in my head. I had just never been given, you know, never been asked to articulate it, to put it into a process. So this is exactly what I was doing in my head. I knew that I was asking these two questions. What's the lens through which I'm going to tell this story? You know, is it through people, through data, through history? And then once I know that, what's the best way to bring it to life? And that's the formats, right? That's, is it video, audio, timeline, map, or something else? And so once I realized those are the two questions I asked myself, then I just thought, well, what are the list of possible answers or the most likely possible answers for my audience, uh, who in this case were marketers, so it worked out well. And I kind of put together this matrix and like, it wasn't as uh, well formed as it is in its current book form. It was, you know, rough and ready because I didn't have too long to put it together. But once I presented that at this conference, I got such an incredible response, even more people reaching out to me about that than about the actual keynote that I had been hired to give <laughs> that I had prepared for so long. I thought I've struck a nerve here. There's something here. And so I need to like polish it and spend more time with it. So yeah, it was like a process I was always doing unconsciously, but I just, I had never really thought to, to break it down in a way to teach it to others. Now, how long ago did that happen? That Berlin conference happen? <sighs> I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2017. I think it was 2017. Yeah, yeah. So at that Late point, you've, you, you've had a lot of years of writing and yeah. it just sort of came through. Now, did you, you know, Berlin is, is uh, you're an East Coaster, so Berlin's still a pretty long plane ride. Was it something yeah. you had to craft on the plane or did you get a chance to I, do it beforehand? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally, so I was, I was already en route to the conference when this happened. Now, luckily, um, I have a rule when, you know, when I'm traveling is that I try never to fly in on gig day. I always try to yes. arrive the day before just in case anything happens, you know, I'm still there on time. So um, because it was international, I lucked out and that I had a full day there before I had to speak the next day. 
Um, and so I did have time to, I worked on it on the plane, kind of, you know, plain napkins, catching things out, started building a visual for it to make sure it made sense. Uh, and then I just rehearsed it out and talked it out. And uh, it was probably much more slide heavy of a presentation than I would normally give because it was new material and it was, uh, you know, this matrix system that I was building. But um, yeah, it, it, obviously it worked well. But yeah, of course, I, I wish I had more time to uh, work on it before I had to debut it. It probably could have been a little cleaner in its first iteration. <laughs> so, so basically what you're saying is the birth of this processes and book came on a uh, bar napkin somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean is basically yeah. what you're okay basically, that's awesome I yeah. love it <laughs> yeah and I it's funny because I mentioned it in the uh, in the acknowledgement in the acknowledgements of the book I was just sort of like I have to acknowledge this conference because had they not asked me to fill that gap I may never have had I may never have had the opportunity to really sit down and force myself to articulate what is this process that I'm doing. And, you know, that really, it really was the the beginning of, of putting this all together and, and turning it into a book. Did you turn around and then present more on that same topic? And part of the reason I ask is we were lucky enough to have Jay Bear on the podcast recently. And yeah. he talked about how he basically will give a speech 20 or 30 times and then basically see how it resonates with the audience. And then that becomes the book. Whereas most people write the book first and then give the speech on it. Yeah. Uh, did you have a chance to sort of hone that and get some feedback before writing the book? Yeah, absolutely. So that was, that was, I guess it was November. I, actually, hold on. I can tell you when it was November of 20. Yeah, it was November, 2017. And then I did it a little bit more in the uh, in the intervening time. I gave it as workshops. I gave it in various forms as as keynotes. I did it at Social Media Marketing World. I had a room of about seven hundred and fifty people there, and was able to share it there. Um, and that you know it really helps crystallize the idea because you see what people react to. You get the conference feedback where people you can see what people are are writing down what their their complaints or questions are. Um, so it really helped me fine tune it. Uh, you know, the names of these categories have evolved over time uh, that I use in the book, the different chapters, um, based on realizing that they didn't make sense to everybody who didn't have the same background I did. You know, they weren't as accessible as I thought. And so a lot of it was sort of honed and, and I, I think of polished over time, right? Like it got shinier, we got the rough edges away and, and now it's looking much nicer. I think the, the, big thing for me was really getting to put it in front of an audience and and get more feedback because I knew there was something there but I also knew it wasn't it wasn't ready you know it wasn't ready for a book yet it needed a little more testing so again really grateful to get to have that be my job that I get to get up in front of people and, and teach them things and, and see how that learning happens. Do you happen to remember any of the early feedback you got? And part of the reason I'm curious about that is if, if we look at implementation or management of that sort of three-legged stool of people, processes, and tools, I feel yeah. a lot of businesses get hung up on the tool, right? The technology or the software and they yeah. buy it and they then they don't realize how to use it or use it to its potential. Or yeah. they'll have somebody in the department who's really exceptional and seems to get everything done. But the disconnect is always on the process side because people never like to write anything down, right? And so yeah. having the right process teach the person how to use the tool to implement the success. I'm curious what the initial feedback was as you're kind of going over a process with them, sort of what the reaction was. Yeah, so I remember that first conference um, when I had just, you know, sort of pulled this together and, and shared it for the first time. That I was getting a lot of emails, which I don't always get after a conference. You know, you put up your emails, you hope you get a lead for a client or something. 
Um, but I was getting a lot of direct questions. People were saying, hey, so when you talked about, you know, this plus this, would this example make sense? Does that work for that? So people were really trying to crystallize their knowledge, right? They were trying to test their understanding of it, which meant two things to me. One, this is resonating. Here they are days or weeks later, still thinking about it, still looking at their content through that lens, um, but also that there's some clarity lacking, that there's still certain parts that aren't making as much sense because they're only asking about this and not that, right? So that kind of feedback where they were asking clarifying questions was really helpful for knowing where I needed to spend more attention or craft better examples. But the other thing is they were asking me for resources. Like someone straight up asked me, do you have a book of this? Do you have a workbook of this? Do you have printouts? Do you have cheat sheets, workbooks? Like, and, and that was the, the moment where I realized like they're hungry for more. They sat there and listened to me talk about this for 60 minutes and they want more. And so that was my realization like this, I have to do something. And the first thing I did was actually make a PDF uh, printout. So it was not the slides, but it was sort of the whole system. And uh, I figured it wouldn't make sense really if you hadn't been in the talk and known how to use it. Um, so I just put it up for free as a download on my website. And I figured anyone who you know saw me speak could download this and that would be a close, you know, a close bonus. But what that gave me too was a list of people who had expressed interest in the concept. And that allowed me to turn around and say, hey, I finally did write a book on this. And you, know, you had the one, the one page version, here's the uh, 200 page version. <laughs> Someone who's spent your entire career, you know, writing content in, have you ever come across writer's block? And if so, like, how did you get through it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think when I look back to the times where I've had the, the hardest trouble getting ideas out, I think the, the first time when it happens is when I'm in an environment where I don't feel creatively safe. And that can happen for a number of people for different reasons. It could be that you have a boss that's hypercritical. Um, you know, it could be that you're in sort of a, a weird work culture where, you know, there's a lot of tension or it's very cutthroat. Um, you know, those kind of environments make you hesitant to put work out because you know it's going to be criticized or cut down or made an example of or whatever else. Um, so I've definitely had momentary feelings like that, you know, in a, on a cultural level in different teams or with different groups. Um, but I think, like I said, I, I have used this system to, to really help me uh, help me get out of those blocks. But I think if I'm being totally honest, it's usually more just a mindset thing than like a lack of ideas or lack of credit, you know, lack of, uh, of content to talk about. Like, I'll be totally honest. I wrote this book uh, last summer while I was pregnant. And there were some days where I was like, I'm huge and it's 95 degrees outside. And I like the last thing I want to do on earth is sit down and like, you know, write for hours. But yeah, that was just more like an attitude problem, to be honest. I think the, uh, the biggest thing, and again, here I'm coming back to systems. You asked if I'm a systems person, 100%. What worked for me is knowing that if I wasn't feeling inspired by a particular part that I needed to be working on, that it was okay to work on a different chapter or write a different example or move to a different part of the book. I, I wrote this book entirely out of order because it depended on what I was feeling when I sat down that day. Okay, I'm in an infographics mood. I'm going to write about infographics and then I'll thread that in when, when the time comes, you know? So having that system of knowing this is what I'm going to write. This is what each chapter needs to include. I, I broke it down into its smallest parts. And so I could work on the parts that were least intimidating. It's sort of like when you have a huge project at work and it's like, I'm just going to answer emails first to kind of like warm up my brain. Uh, you know, it, it's the same, same approach for me with creative work. It's like, okay, if I'm, I'm not quite ready to write an amazing introduction, but I could probably come up with some examples for that other chapter that needs a few examples. That's a little bit easier, you know, lower lift to warm up. 
No, I, I agree. I, sometimes I find it's, I just got to walk away, like walk yeah. away, close the computer down, go for a walk, go for a run. Recently, uh, we've been doing really well of like extreme social distancing and, and even though we live in Florida, don't live far from the beach, but decided to take a week and about three or four days and go down uh, right on the water and stay. And just leaving the scenery and going to a beach, I had more ideas of how to create content and move the needle with uh, business than I do sitting in front of my computer for, and, and trying to stare at it too. So to me, it was, yeah. I know everybody has differences with writer's block and, sure. you know, without a system. And now you've created this system in place. So I was just kind of curious. And I think it's good to hear people who not only are just subject matter experts in that space, but you have the resume to show, you know, with time and, and all this. And so I, it also resonates. Okay. You have the same problems I do. Every once in a while, we yeah. just can't write, you know, yeah. Uh, well, and I, I totally agree with you about getting out and, and changing. I think, like I said, everyone's writer's block, the, the root of it may be different. Like, you know, I've, I've had people ask me, oh, you know, I've, I've lost someone close to me and I can't focus on writing. And I'm like, that's normal. That's okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up. Like we all go through things in life. Today's not your day to write, you know, give yourself some time and, and try again, walk away, you know? And so I think it just depends on what those factors are in your life. Like, for me, when I was just pregnant and grumpy, like that was just me being grumpy. Like I just needed to to try something else. But um, there are plenty of legitimate reasons that, you know, you can't focus right now. You don't have the time or you don't have the resources or you have more pressing matters, health, family, finances. Um, I do think that the, the walk away method tends to work a lot too. So if you're just not feeling it, I always say you need diverse input to get diverse output. So if you're not, if you're, and this is especially hard during quarantine, we're seeing the same things, eating the same things, you know, not going the same places. Uh, it's hard to feel inspired when, you know, you're in a hamster wheel going around and around, you know? So whatever way you can mix up what it is that you're getting, whether that's like ordering takeout from a different place that you've never tried before, watching a movie that Netflix is not recommending for you, right? Or like, listen to an album that, or listen to a playlist that someone else who has different tastes in music created. You know, sometimes you have to get outside the algorithm uh, to get something that you might never have gotten exposed to otherwise. What advice do you give businesses that are struggling with that? When we had, we mentioned having Neil Schaefer on the podcast yeah. and he talked about the three pillars of digital marketing being search, social, and email. Well, the one common thread across all of those is content. It's yeah. always content. It always comes back to content. And yet we find businesses struggle to create content, even though they know their business so well. Yeah. Why do you think that is? And what tips do you give them with how, I mean, you, you gave a few just yeah. now in terms of, you know, watching different Netflix movies yeah. and the walkaway movements, but from the business standpoint, like what do you recommend people do? The first thing I think that people get really intimidated again by this idea of like creating content as if it's some special thing that we're not capable of that like is a skill set we don't have. Uh, the reality is you're writing text messages, you're writing emails, you're filling out forms, like you know how to create things. You take photos of the flowers and the sunset and your grandkids, your dogs, whatever. Like we are all content creators. I think we need to sort of take it down off of a pedestal a little bit and make it feel like something less scary. And so my first piece of advice is always mine your day, your everyday life for content. Like you're already doing things that could be content. You don't have to change your entire life. Like 
set up a camera, take video of you doing whatever it is you normally do. And now you've got a time lapse of you doing that. There's a piece of content, right? You're going to go and, and create something, fix something, set up a camera, take some photos or video of you doing that. Now you've got a tutorial, like just look for those things that you're doing anyway, uh, that, that would be valuable that people would be curious about and, and find a way to take what you're already doing and turn that into content. Uh, a lot of behind the scenes content is exactly this, right? I don't set up a special time to go into the freezer and tell people what the ingredients are here. I'm just happened to be going to the freezer. I open up Instagram live and I'm like, Hey, we just got a new shipment of all our exciting cake flavors. Like, check this out. Look at this giant vat of strawberries. Like you just, you're going back there anyway, open up live and, and talk your way through it. So I think if we can make it feel a little less intimidating, like this giant undertaking, we have to like, okay, now begins content time. Like we're changing, you know, we're changing everything. Really just think like, what could I share today? What am I already doing that I could share? And, and I think that makes it feel a little more approachable and also like less of a burden. You don't have to set aside a whole day and, you know, set up a set and do all this stuff. Like just what can you share that you're already going to do today? We talked a little bit, you know, entrepreneurs and SMBs make up a large part of our audience. And it's an international audience. About 50% yeah. of the audience is outside the USA. And one thing I always talk about, you know, is cultures are different. Our problems are the same, you know? Yeah. And what do you say when you have those small, the entrepreneur or the SMB, you know, the entrepreneur, they might not be marketing by trade, but they have a really good product or service. They just don't yeah. know how to market it, but they don't have the budget. Are there any tips or suggestions for, for those who need to create that content, but struggle? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I always tell people is that whatever skill you don't have, there's someone or something that can fill that gap. So if you, for example, you're really comfortable speaking like this, you like want to do a podcast, but you don't know how to edit the audio, there's a tool or, or a process or, or a person who can come in and help do that part for you, even if you have limited budget. Same thing, you know, if you, you want to create a blog, you're not a writer, well, speak it out loud using Google Docs and let it do voice to text for you. And now you've got a blog post just having spoken words out loud. So, you know, look for those tools. What am I trying to create? And what am I comfortable doing? And how can I fill that gap? Because you'll be able to find someone. The other thing I always recommend to people is look for uh, journalists or, or other content producers that are students at your local schools. Because every student who's studying a, a creative art, whether it's design or, or writing or something else, they need a portfolio and they need people to work with to create that portfolio. And so if you can offer a truly valuable experience to say, look, I'm going to let you take free reign. You can create all the graphics for the blog. You can use them all in your portfolio. I want you to use your creative skills, you know, do what you think feels right. They can have a project, a client, a creative, you know, they can do their best creative work to help build that portfolio and build their experience. And you have someone who can come in and help you fill that gap between what you want to do and your ability to maybe put that out into the world. So I think even if you're working with a limited budget, you know, there, there are, again, tools and people out there who can help you fill those gaps and, and put stuff out. But the only other thing I always say is like, you know, we all, we all have a first content language. That's what I call it. Like the area where you're most comfortable, you're most fluent. For me, it's writing. For you guys, you're, you're audio guys, right? Um, so lean into that strength. You know, if the idea of creating a YouTube video series is, is too technical, too scary, you need equipment, you need a, I mean, then, then don't do that. You know, break out your phone and do some Instagram lives every other day. That's so much more approachable. Go for it, you know, or, or write a blog on your phone while you're on the bus, you know, like just 
just look for what's realistic for you and, and work on that and you'll improve, get better and do more over time. Don't let uh, this idea that, you know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Like find what's realistic for you. Start there and you'll build as you go. It's actually funny you mentioned that because Ryan and I started writing for the blog and we still do yeah. that, but we ended up doing the podcast just because it was easier to just talk through the stuff. But there is a sense of, you know, the reason the blog was, I think, a little bit more of a challenge for us is that we, we kept holding back the content until we could get it just right or just perfect. Yeah. Whereas with the podcast, you kind of do the best you can and you ship it. But there is a sense of vulnerability that comes with that when you're putting, you know, you're putting your yeah. stuff out there. What advice do you give to individuals about how to sort of overcome that? I mean, there's always vulnerability, right? And, and especially if you're a business owner, my guess is you didn't get there because you're lazy and don't care about standards, right? Like you have high standards for yourself, for those around you, for your brand that can be difficult to get over. I, I don't know that I have a, a secret weapon. I, I deal with that myself sometimes, you know, wanting to make sure that things are up to the standards that I like before I, I share them with the world. I think the, the biggest thing to know is that right now, especially audiences are so understanding. No one is in an ideal scenario right now. No one is, you know, creating their best work. Again, having access to all the resources they normally do. So if there was ever a time for you to have the freedom and the leeway and your audience's patience and understanding to try something new, now is the time. Uh, and, and the blessing for us, if you're in a small business or you're an entrepreneur, you know, you have the ability to try that and see if it works and go from there. Uh, a lot of times we envy the resources that some of these larger corporations have. And what you don't realize is that an idea sometimes goes to those big companies to die because there's 46 layers of legal approval and three weeks of waiting and three presentations and a quarterly data review before you can send out a tweet that you thought of, you know? And so we have this flexibility. So, you know, I think I know it's scary. It's hard. But think of it as a blessing. It's like you have the freedom to try things and experiment. Uh, your audience will let you know. And, you know, as long as you're being brand safe and you're not like experimenting with racism or like experimenting with, you know, nudity and, and cuss words on your content, like you're probably going to be OK. A typo is not going to be the end of the world or, you know, a pixel being off here or there or color not matching perfectly. It's not going to close your business. Right. Uh, you're still adding value to your audience. No, and I think it's a struggle that a lot have. The, the human nature part of it, it's it, it just there's, and I'm sure a lot of it is fear-based. What are people going to think? We're yeah. better than maybe what we put out there. And, you know, what Winston Churchill said it best, perfection is the enemy of progress. Um, That's right. You know? Yes. Well, and there's <laughs> another thing, too, that uh, I always remind people, we have this tremendous fear uh, of this judgment from our audience that they're going to know if I shared something more than once, or like I just shared this last week and they're going to see that I'm sharing it again. Like our audience doesn't care and see everything that we do as much as we do. Like there's not a person in your life. I guarantee that you have seen every post that they've ever posted, read every blog post that they've ever, right? We don't operate like that. We peruse, we go, go from one thing to another. Your audience isn't going to send you an angry email. Like, you tweeted that article last week. I can't believe you. You've betrayed me. Like, you know, give yourself a little grace. Your audience has a lot going on. And so, you know, they're not, they're not waiting to scrutinize us in the way that we often put that same pressure on ourselves. It's, it's a lot more freeing uh, than we might believe it to be. We are definitely our own worst enemy. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, in, in that is a common fear, right? I'm, I'm going to overdo it. In LinkedIn, and I can't remember exactly where you can find this, um, and I think it's in your mind network, you can go through and people that you follow, they will show you in the last week 
the, you know, especially if you're following, you know, high profile people, you can actually see the amount of posts that they have over the last week. And it's sorted by, you know, the most to the least. And I believe it was on a, uh, on a Wednesday and I looked and Guy Kawasaki at that point had published 50 posts in the week. And that was the most, but most people were at double digits, uh, the high profile. And I think it yeah. goes to show you, these are the big names in, in the industry. And, and to me, I was like, wow, that's right. And I know all this. I know the algorithm, you know, I don't yeah. know how it works, but I know that, <laughs> you know, people engage with it. They have a better chance of seeing your content right. again. And that's for LinkedIn. It's for uh, Instagram and Facebook and so forth. So not everybody is going to see every single post and you can post 10 times a day and you don't yeah. have to worry about the fear because they're not going to see all your posts anyway. Exactly. Well, and the other thing that's interesting, you guys mentioned that you're, you're data guys. We think about the other parts of our business. You know, if you're controlling inventory on your site, for example, or in your store, um, you would never make a massive decision based on one day's worth of sales because that day could be Black Friday that you're going to have insane numbers or, or that day could be a day you were closed and you made nothing. Right. Or it could be the first day of lockdown when nobody ordered anything. Right. So I think it's really important to see your content in the same way. You know, a lot of people have this, this feeling that it's a, it's a short-term thing and okay, I published one blog post and no one read it. So I'm not blogging anymore. Or we put out our first podcast and we only got six downloads. And so, you know, podcasting doesn't work. You know, it's important that you give yourself enough data points, enough posts, enough, you know, episodes, whatever the case may be to actually draw meaningful conclusions from that. So if you're holding yourself to, I'm only going to post on LinkedIn once a week, think about it. It's going to take you years to get enough data points to understand what works. You know, it's worth putting more out there and experimenting, especially early on to gather data so that you can make better choices as you move forward. In the book, you talk about, you know, creating the content. You kind of came up with this sort of X, Y axis of this matrix yeah. of, can you provide some examples of some of the focuses and some of the formats and sort of how that matrix works? Yeah. So we already talked about one of the focuses, which is process focused content. So like we said, that's anything that's really helping your audience achieve something. So recipes, how to's, you know, step by step, really any instructional type content is generally process focused. Um, so that's that's one that I love. Obviously, as I shared, I think people focused content is some of my favorite. It's often the most relatable. And so what you want to ask yourself is who are the people involved in this story or which people could help me tell this story? So that might be, you know, instead of saying our business is great or we have 100 percent satisfaction, you know, what people could help me tell that story, find someone who is satisfied and, and tell their story. Um, so, you know, asking that that people question is, is a really good way to make the content more relatable. Um, and another one that I love, since we've talked about it here a few times now, is data. Uh, is asking, how could I tell the story through numbers or through data? I think oftentimes we think that only highly technical content can include numbers or percentages, you know, other data points. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, seemingly lifestyle stories could be very, very interesting when you look at them through the lens of numbers. And so those are those are three that I like to turn to and, and recommend for folks. Does it matter if you choose format before focus or vice versa? You 100% need to choose your focus before the format. So when you choose the format first, if you say like, I need a video idea, what you often end up with is something that absolutely should not have been a video, but you had already decided it uh, before you knew what you were going to say, right? You're sort of like, 
deciding, uh, you know, what you're, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, decide what to have for dinner before you look at what the ingredients are, right? And so, you know, knowing what you have in your fridge is important before you start cooking. And so you want to know what it is that you're trying to say before you decide what the final product is going to look like, um, because it, it should, the ingredients should determine that outcome, right, and the way it comes to life. So, once you know what you want to say, then the question to ask yourself is what's the best way to bring this to life? So, uh, you know, if we're going to create a piece of content, you know, through through the numbers, then, OK, well, what's going to work well for displaying numbers? It could be writing could work. We could write out all that data. Uh, you know, an infographic might be great because we've got all this wonderful data. We can visualize it. Uh, what about a video? OK, we could do animated video that shows the charts growing and the numbers dropping and, you know, has those, those little iconographic figures where there's like, you know, a hundred people and then like 47 of them are turned green for some reason, you know, you can make those sort of visual, uh, engaging visuals with that. But sometimes it also helps you figure out which ones not to use. So for example, if you're doing a, a piece on, I don't know, Bitcoin or cloud computing, that's not an incredibly visual topic. And anyone who has looked for stock photos on that topic knows that like, there's nothing out there. You don't want uh, blue tinted ones and zeros over your screen. Like, and that's all we've got. So maybe let's not go with graphics or let's not go with a video because it's going to be cheesy stock, right? So maybe we need to find an expert, do it through people who can come and, and share that perspective. And if we have people, then it becomes more visual. So, you know, I think figuring out what you want to say first and then figuring out what's the best way to say it. Of the formats in your list, are there any that are underutilized or undervalued? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, toward the end of the book, I have a couple that I think are, are outliers a little bit. So maps is one that I think we forget about. Anytime your content mentions multiple places or you can tell it through the lens of multiple locations, you want to consider having a map in there. I think timelines are another one. We often tell stories that unfold over time, stories that you know, take us through history or, or compare and contrast trends and, and projections. And I think having timelines that allow our audience to see how that story changes over time can be a really valuable way to do it. And the other one that I like a lot is quizzes. I mean, I think quizzes have gotten a little bit of a bad rap because especially online quizzes, they tend to be more fun than function, right? Um, you know, like what's your tell me what your favorite Valentine's Day chocolate is and I'll tell you which Game of Thrones character you're going to marry or something like that. What um, Kardashian but, are you? <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but there's there's ways to do it that, that are incredibly valuable. I mean, helping people figure out which product is right for them based on certain characteristics or needs, right? You could put people into categories to, to help them understand, you know, what type of service may be the best fit for them. You can, you can gather customer information and make a very specific product recommendation just for them. You can test their knowledge and say, how much do you, do you, how well do you understand this topic or how ready are you for X, Y, Z? And based on their answers and what sort of knowledge gaps you uncover with that quiz, you can then serve up additional products or services or content uh, to help them continue to close those knowledge gaps. So I think quizzes can be a lot of fun, but also really, really valuable for the audience too, if they're done right. With quizzes, would you say that's something that maybe is not right out of the gate if this is your first content piece? Or is it okay to, to do that? Because I know quizzes are a little bit evolved because you, you also yeah. have to kind of branch them out in a hierarchy. Okay, if they choose this, you know. But the positive is it's also market research. Everything you just said, and I think you get market research yeah. too off of your audience. So here's what I would say. Um, again, we really like to complicate things and find barriers and reasons why we can't do it. 
Um, the most famous style of quiz that we see mentioned in, in TV and film is the Cosmo quiz. And it's text only, and it's A, B, C, D, and the answers are upside down on that very same page. This doesn't have to be this crazy, complicated, you know, flowchart experience. It could be as simple as, you know, here's a series of questions, which of the few answers are you? And then did you get mostly A, mostly B, or mostly C? You know, you can make this stuff very easy. Uh, and the other thing I always tell people is build in whatever tools you're comfortable with. If you love PowerPoint and you're comfortable in PowerPoint because you have to make presentations, build your freaking quiz in PowerPoint. Who cares? Make every question a slide and then save them as images. Go for it, you know? If you're if you're comfortable in, in Photoshop or Canva or, you know, Microsoft Word, like you can find a way to make that stuff work with the tools that you have. Just just think about what your real goal is uh, versus what you've seen that look like somewhere else. And again, coming back to your focus, like what am I trying to say without focusing necessarily on the format of how you bring it to life? I think there's a lot of ways to find a comfortable in between so that you're not having to build you know, a crazy interactive uh, flow chart that you've got a program or something. It doesn't have to be too, too scary. Do you advocate for repurposing content? Uh, we find that with a lot of businesses, the struggle to get to that commitment to that one idea, you know, that they're going to do something about. So let's say they decide, all right, I'm going to write an article. One of the things Ryan and I always advocate for is, okay, if you've, you've put all your eggs in that basket, you've written that article, great. But now, Maybe record yourself doing a video of a snippet from the article yeah. or, you know, record audio or create an infographic out of it. Work with a designer to do that. So it's the same general content, but it's repurposed across a bunch of different formats. Yeah, 100%. It's so, so important. I think we give ourselves, again, like we talked about before, we give ourselves way too much stress trying to think we have to reinvent the wheel every single time. You can make so much happen with the content you already have in your archives and every time you create new content. So, you know, there's a couple different ways to repurpose and, and we could talk about this all day, but just a quick, quick little bit here. So obviously you can copy that content and just paste it somewhere else. So if you've written a written a blog post, you could send it as the body of an email to your list. You could post it as an article on Medium or on LinkedIn. Uh, you could post it in the body of a Facebook uh, post if you really want to, long style. But uh, you can also, again, remix it. You can um, you know, turn it into something else. So reformatting, like we've talked about here, you could read it and now you've got a podcast, right? You could uh, read it and put stock photos or, or videos and now you've got a video as well. Uh, you can grab the best quotes from that article and turn them into graphics like an excerpt. Uh, you could curate that article and say this this article and 14 of our others that you may have missed last month. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways to keep remixing and repurposing that content. Uh, sometimes we just need to be more creative with the content we have rather than worrying about creating more. And so I think repurposing is a really good way to save yourself a lot of time and stress. A lot of organizations uh, I've come across, worked with, is very sales driven and for obvious reasons, right? I mean, that's what brings the revenue in. Some that are very sales first, I've also noticed don't fully understand the marketing approach to it. But content is obviously king to all this. And how can a business and a marketing department show that they can make revenue for their company off of content? I mean, this is a, one of the biggest questions, right? We often are asked that ROI question, what's the return on investment of investing in content? Um, but as we touched on earlier, everything we do is content. Everything we're putting out for our audience, every communication we have with them is content. So the question becomes, can you really afford to have ineffective content? 
how much more time does this take your sales team to close a deal because people have to go searching for answers to things that you could create content that answers a question. Uh, how much more time, you know, how many customers do you lose because you're, you're, those customers are make, trying to make calculations for things and they don't properly understand what those costs are or what the variables are. And you could create educational content that helps them understand how the estimates happen. You know, how many people count themselves out because they think it's not a fit because you haven't created content that explains, you know, how, which product or service is right for them. So there's a lot of ways you could use this content on the sales front to save time, to, to increase your conversions, and just, you know, overall to enable your sales team to do better work. So I think if you are having trouble getting buy-in, focusing on some of that more conversion-centric, you know, sales enablement content is generally a good way to get some buy-in. And the question I always ask up front is, what are the questions that your sales, like ask your sales team, what are the questions you spend too much time asking? What are the answers you have to give over and over again? Because that's a really good indication that, this shouldn't be answered by a human every single time that there's clearly a, a myth or a misunderstanding uh, that we can dispel with a piece of content that they get further up in the funnel. So there's a part in your book toward the end where you talk about idea multipliers. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So content multipliers are something that allow you to take one really good content idea and turn it into others. So I won't give away the whole thing because it's a little in depth, but Think of it this way, if you've created one really good piece of content, like the the five, five we talked about the five blog posts that you missed last month, like in case you missed it, a little roundup of your best content from the previous month. That works really well. You get a lot of traffic, you get a lot of reads. What you could do is say, well, that was great. I'm glad that worked out well, and then move on with your life and, and try to come up with something else. Or you could say, maybe we need to do this more frequently. Maybe we need to multiply this one idea for a content piece and do it every month. So now we're multiplying it times each month. Each month, we're going to wrap up the best ones from last, uh, last month. Then we're going to do it every quarter and say, here's the 25 best from Q1 or the, from the spring or fall or however your audience thinks about those larger time gaps. You could do your annual roundup of all the best content of the year that you may have missed. Maybe you do it weekly and you say, here's posts from throughout the industry that you may have missed this week. You know, what are the different ways you can multiply that single successful content idea into something that happens more frequently and gives you more of that same success? So really just the content multipliers are about, again, giving you a system for capitalizing on your success and multiplying that success instead of just patting yourself on the back and then going back to the drawing board. So we talked about the focuses, the formats, uh, the multipliers, which you go very much in depth and provide this framework uh, in your book. But what can we do to make sure that we really put the book's ideas into action? So I think that that happens so often. Like we all do that, right? You read the book and you're like, this is a, this is great ideas. This is going to change my life. And then you put it back on the shelf and then like go back to your regular life. So my hope is that it, it becomes really actionable. I mean, one of the things that I have heard from readers and it warms my heart is that since reading the book, they start to see the focuses and formats out in the world. And so they'll see something and go, oh, that's people-focused content told through video, or oh, that's data-focused content in an infographic. They start to see it that way. And I think if you can try to uh, like buy into the language, you're going to start to be able to speak that common language, and it makes it easier for you to articulate your ideas. So I think trying when you can to spot those things in the world is a good way to like keep your brain practicing and, and studying in the background so that when the time comes, for you to sit down for a brainstorm, you've got ideas, you've got examples and like a bank that you saved in your head 
Um, so I think that's one thing. The other thing is if you are really like you want some serious guidance to get through this process, we do have a, a companion workbook that goes with the book. Um, so that's on our website. It's contentfuelframework.com slash workbook. Or if you just go to our website, you'll, you'll find it there. Um, but it's like 70 pages of fill in the blanks and prompts and numbered lists to like really guide you chapter by chapter to make sure you're, you're putting it into action and coming up with really tactical ideas, ideas that you can, you can put out into the world. I think that's great advice. Uh, Melanie, this was a blast having you on today. Yeah. If there was one takeaway that you would want an audience listener to gain from the time we spent together, what would it be? I never want to hear any of you say that you are not creative or you can't think creatively. And if you still doubt me, think about the last time you worried about something going wrong and all the creative ways you imagined things could go wrong. You are unbelievably creative. You just need the right prompts. And so if you have a system of prompts, you will no longer have that feeling. And I, I reject I reject that claim. You are 100% creative and capable of, of creative thinking. So we have one last segment. Like any other happy hour, can't talk shop the entire time. We call it keeping it light. So yeah. can you let us know what is it that you're either binge watching or reading or listening to right now? Um, okay, so what am I binge watching right now? Well, right now I'm listening to a book called The Black Swan. Um, which is all about unpredictability and uncertainty. It's really interesting. It's a little over my head, to be honest. If you're not extremely well-versed in like mathematics and philosophy, you're going to miss a lot of name drops. But uh, I'm learning a lot about predictability and uncertainty. And uh, that's been uh, like a weird mental wormhole for me to go down uh, in this time, in these uncertain times, as it were. When you said Black Swan, I'm like, oh, Natalie Portman, great movie. No, that's not what it was about. <laughs> nope. Well, for our listeners that want to learn more about you, including reading your book, which I highly recommend, uh, where can they find you? So I'm Melanie Diesel, D-E-Z-I-E-L. And if you search for me on any social platform of your choosing, you will find me. I am the only one that is me. Uh, so you can find me wherever you spend your time. But our website is storyfuel.co. So it's storyfuel.co. And if you head over there, you'll find links to how to work with us. If you want to bring us in for a webinar or a session, uh, there's links for the book and the workbook and our mastermind and all that fun stuff. And there's even a contact page if you can't remember how to spell my name and you want to find me on your social network of choice. Melanie, this was great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate Definitely. it. Thanks for letting me share my story. Absolutely. Thank you. So Ryan, content is a constant theme on this podcast, and I thought Melanie brought so much great information to the show. What are your thoughts? So this is a struggle. We, we talked about it a lot. You know, this is something I started in digital marketing, uh, specifically back in 2006. So for nearly 15 years, creating that next content piece, sometimes it's easy. It's a no-brainer. A lot of the times, it's really struggle, and I thought the tips that she provided, um, you know, if you haven't gotten her book, please go get her book, uh, especially if you are an entrepreneur startup and definitely if you're already in the digital marketing space, the, the framework will help you create your next content. It's not just, you know, it's not, she's not throwing something out there. This, this works and it's very practical. So for me, I thought it was fantastic. I liked how she talked about with, you don't have to have a big budget to be able to create this. What you need is just a little bit of time. And I know that's still a struggle for a lot of people, especially if you're you're doing multiple things within your business or your business and you have family life on top of that. It's tough. It's hard to balance this. But I think this framework that she provides will give you a, a leg up and a head start on your next content idea. 
Yeah, without a doubt. The fact that she was able to create a process that people can follow for a repeated pattern of success, I, I mean, it's brilliant. And I thought she was a fantastic guest. You know, one of the interesting things about having this amazing opportunity to host different guests in the marketing field here is you never know exactly what they're going to be like. You know, maybe you've read their books or you've listened to their, their podcast before if they have one, or maybe you've seen them speak at an event, but then you get them in a setting like this and you never know exactly what to expect, you know, or are, are they... Do they actually have that larger than life persona? Are they more down to earth and whatnot? And Melanie really brought it. I mean, that was that was a lot of fun. So hopefully we'll be able to bring her back one day. She brought it and she was down to earth. So I felt Melanie was extremely relatable on that. 100%. So that'll wrap up another week of Digital Marketing Happy Hour. But of course, no episode is complete without the Keeping It Light segment. So Ryan, what are you binge watching, reading, or listening to this week? You know, if you're just new to this podcast, sports is a big part of our lives outside of the business and marketing world. And right now, the Stanley Cup is going on and, of course, uh, rooting hard for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I am consuming all things hockey right now. What are you consuming, Chris? Yeah, so I haven't had as much time to watch TV this week, but I am reading a book that I actually read it several years ago, and uh, it sparked my interest again. It's called Platform, How to Get Noticed in a Noisy World by Michael Hyatt. This is the book that sort of introduced me to Michael Hyatt, who's actually got a leadership book club series and several other things. And his writing is fantastic. And the book is a, is a really good source for, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. How do you carve out your space? This is the book that'll help get you started there. Well, we want to hear from you. If you heard something that you loved or maybe Chris or I said something you disagree with, we want your feedback. We've heard a lot from you in the past through social media, uh, especially LinkedIn is a great place to, to reach out to us. So we want to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at araxam.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. LinkedIn, search Ryan Smith. Do Ryan Smith Marketing, probably the easy, easiest way to find me. And also hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, Ryan Smith FLA. And you can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Chris Casale. You can also find me under Araxum or Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And I'm on Twitter as well at Real Chris Casale. That's R E A L C H R I S C A S A L E. And of course, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it will enlighten your day. Of course, this is our mom's favorite podcast, and we hope it's Melanie's mom's favorite podcast as well. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album, Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening.